Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Welcome to Basic Folk. This is a podcast where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. It's Cindy House. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. We get to talk to a real, live, native New Yorker, which I think is very rare these days. Uh, We get to talk to Emily Muir, and we will discuss exactly what we get into after we thank our sponsors. Basic Folk is brought to you in part by Lindsay Myers and Elemento Management, who thinks if you like the artists on Basic Folk, you'll like Acoustic Troubadours, McDean, and Tina and Her Pony. Check them out on Instagram and Spotify. Also, before we get into uh, talking about Emily Muir, uh, an announcement, special announcement. Brand new Basic Folk knitted beanies are now available. They are knit by my mom. Uh, She has been feverishly working on these all year long and if you are interested in buying a basic folk beanie you can go to my website cindyhouse.net actually uh, she will ship it to you as well we were talking on the phone earlier today and she was telling me all of the cute little gifts that she wanted to put in the packages um, and I, I and I said mom I fully support your adorableness, so please go to my website. You can see pictures of them. They come in a couple different colors, which my mom will pick the color for you uh, just to make it easy on you. But you can check it out, cindyhouse.net, and thanks. I first met Emily Muir on Three Mile Island, which if you are a previous listener of the podcast, you will know that's where Miles of Music takes place, this wonderful music camp Uh, featuring people who play the guitar, fiddle, cello, banjo. It's just a really lovely folk camp that is located on Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire. And I've been there for two years and had a chance to meet Emily there and get to know her and get to know her music, which is lovely. Emily is a singer-songwriter, guitar player, and also a lifelong oboist. She studied classical music since she was in fourth grade. She comes from a musical family. We talk all about it. She's from an island in Manhattan called Roosevelt Island, which sounds very interesting. She actually lives in her childhood apartment, so we get into that. Uh, Emily is a wonderful person. She's very authentic and very honest and open during this conversation. Hope you enjoy it. She has a new EP of covers that's out now. We're going to share a song from her last full-length record. We'll uh, play the title track, which is called Worth, and then get into it with Emily Muir on Basic Folk. 
For you to give everyone a lesson in how to pronounce your last name. <laughs> yeah, so it's it can kind of be pronounced either Muir or Muir. Um, we're kind of split in our family, but I say Muir. Muir, L- yeah. like Demure. Like Demure, yeah, yeah. Demi John Muir. Muir, yeah. Kind of. It's more like John Muir. Same John Muir. same name, just spelled differently. Okay, great. Well, thank you for that. And thanks for talking to me. Thanks for talking to me, Cindy. I love your podcast. So this is my pleasure. Thank you. Um, Okay. So excited to talk to you. Uh, You are a New York City native, which I think it's like there's a few cities in America that you come across where you're like, really? You're from that city? Like for real? But where are you from really? <laughs> I would say Los Angeles, Nashville, Washington, D.C., and New York City. So ladies and gentlemen, we have ourselves an authentic authentic native New Yorker on the podcast today. <laughs> uh, not only are you from New York City, but you are from Roosevelt Island. Do you live there now? <laughs> I do. So my husband and I and our and we have a roommate. We live in my childhood apartment. So I am talking to you from my childhood apartment. I've been here since I was nine on and off. Whoa. So do you have like rent control? Yeah, for now. The the building, unfortunately, is is going private. So we'll still have rent control, but the rent will go up. But for a while it was it's rent stabilized. So for a while, though, it didn't go up. um, And that's why we're why we're still here. (laughs) So it's very interesting that not only are you a native New Yorker and you live in New York, but you live in your childhood apartment, which I can um, I don't know if you've spent a lot of time thinking about how um, growing up on Roosevelt Island shaped you, but also in particular that you still live where you grew up like exactly where you grew up. Like, how do you think that affects you as a person? Well, you know, I think it affects me in different ways. Roosevelt Island is a, is a strange place. People didn't live here until the late 70s, early 80s. Um, so me and my sister uh, were, were part of like, you know, more or less the first generation of kids that grew up here. It's a small island. It's just two miles long. And there's one street. And, you know, so it kind of feels like a small town. And I've always, you know, growing up here, I've always kind of felt, you know, close to the city. I mean, it's right between Manhattan and Queens. But it really feels like its own place kind of isolated from the busiest parts of the city. And I've always liked that. I've always liked being a little bit outside of the craziness, but 
close enough that I can access it. <laughs> mm. um, but I think, you know, it's actually been a challenge, uh, you know, making this a home as an adult, but it helped when my husband moved in and we kind of, you know, redecorated things. But, uh, you know, for a while it was it was hard to change things in my actual apartment. Uh, but now it kind of, it really feels like a completely different place, I think, because I share it now with two different people. Now, Emily, where was music in your early life? I know that um, your family was very musical, um, and but what was it like growing up with a musical family? I loved, I loved growing up with a musical family. I started music really early on, my first unofficial gig was playing cowbell on a float with my dad. He was playing drums, and Dr. <laughs> Ruth, the sex doctor, was on the float. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and I don't remember any other details other than uh, she was on the float, and I had to ask my mom later on who she was. Um, <laughs> and I played the cowbell. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Uh, you are also a lifelong oboist, uh, started off on clarinet, but what made you want to start like officially learning how to play an instrument? The oboe, there was a quintet that came to my elementary school once, and they performed, and I just heard the sound of the oboe, and I couldn't tell by watching the instruments on stage which instrument was making that sound. <laughs> so mm. I went home that night and I asked my dad, like, you know, what were the instruments on stage? So he then, like, played me the different instruments. And um, when we got to the oboe, I was like, that's the one. So I just fell in love with the sound. It's such a beautiful, haunting, uh, different sound. What is – so – the oboe, yeah, it, I agree about the oboe. I played clarinet in high school, and there was an oboe player. We only had one oboe player, which I can imagine is oboe players are a very rare breed in high school. Um, <laughs> yeah. And the thing that always, like, scared me was the reed. Yeah, it should. It's it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, tell me your feelings about the oboe reed. I think it takes a special person to play the oboe, as it sounds like you found in high school. And um, yeah, I mean, not only do you have to learn this crazy instrument, but you have to learn how to manage an oboe reed, which unlike a clarinet or a saxophone, is two pieces of cane together. So it's a very small opening, and it's very difficult to get a sound out. And once you start to play the oboe more and get more serious about it, you have to learn how to make those reeds so that you can kind of modify it to your preferred way of playing. Um, and it's very, very frustrating. <laughs> you know, it's its own it's its own practice. But I mean, I have stories of you know I made my best reed ever, 
And then I go on stage and I'm about to play a solo and I chip it on my tooth and it's broken, you know. (laughs) It just happens more than you think. But there's there's nothing like getting that perfect read and making it sound good. And I think that, you know, all oboists are just the kind of people who are just after that one perfect read (laughs) (laughs) and will, you know, spend hours and hours making it. Your grandfather and your dad, you mentioned that both of them were musicians. Your grandfather, Billy Muir, a session guitar player who worked with Paul Anka, Brenda Lee, B.B. King. Uh, Sounds like an incredible person. Um, And also your dad, not only was he a music teacher, but he was a session drummer who worked with Roberta Flack, Peter Nero, and James Taylor. So I'm wondering, like, in terms of having two pretty successful uh, musicians in your family, whether or not when you started to turn to music, um, what was their reaction uh, and what was their presence in your in your life as you started your path? Well, they were very supportive of my music, um, musical path. And I mean, my dad was actually my music teacher at school on Roosevelt Island for a while. Um, my grandfather just he just wanted you know me and my sister to play music so much and specifically he wanted me to play the guitar which I didn't start playing until college Um, yeah so they were very supportive I didn't have the best relationship with my father we're we're better now Um, but my music making was you know and and again I was pretty shy um, kid, I, I kind of kept my music making to myself. You know, I, I loved just kind of being alone in my room, playing on my keyboard or playing clarinet and listening to, you know, CDs and stuff. Um, but they've always been very supportive um, of my music. I mean, it's different from the music that they made. Um, and my grandfather, I remember when I first started playing guitar and like and sharing songs with him. Uh, he would he would say, you know, why don't you play more seven chords? Play more. You know, he was like <laughs> trying to get me to play more complex things, um, which he taught was me. Was he patient? You know. Oh, so patient. My grandfather, yeah, he was he was very encouraging and patient, and um, yeah, he was a huge positive influence on my music making. Um, but I just was so shy to share it with people, you know, I was so timid to, uh, I mean, I, I started to, as I was, as I got older. Do you mind, um, if we talk a little bit about anxiety when sure. it comes to this kind of stuff? Yeah. Absolutely. So you are somebody who deals with different forms of anxiety. I think you said at one point it was nearly agoraphobia um, yeah. that you were experiencing. Do you... What was your experience like with identifying that anxiety was a big part of your life and and what was that like for you? Well, it was a it's been a long path and you know, I think I didn't even realize that it was anxiety until I was a teenager. Um, you know, I've had various forms of anxiety since I was a kid 
And, you know, I think a lot of it were, it, it was it was a combination of external factors, um, just home life stuff. But also, I come from a family, you know, my, my mother, my grand, my grandmother have been, are very sensitive humans and have, you know, have had their own battles with anxiety. Um, and it's, you know, it was when I was a teenager, I... It, it, it was it really man, manifested in a way that was um, scary you know I was diagnosed with panic disorder I, I started going to a therapist and and that was the diagnosis that I got um, and so that was that was the hardest time I think in my mm. life for anxiety but before then I didn't have a name for it it was manifesting in all these ways I didn't understand um, and then once I was told that this is what it was, it made it a little bit more tangible. I mean, I didn't, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with diagnoses in general, but I think that it it helped me, you know, understand what was happening and I could address it more directly. Um, but it's evolved over the years. Um, I was I was highly medicated for a while just to function because it was, you know, the panic attacks were so frequent and severe that it needed to be, you know, under control. And the agoraphobia came from, I think, you know, for me, the worst part about having panic disorder was the embarrassment because panic attacks would be triggered by things when you, when you feel otherwise okay or you think you feel okay and you know I I would be in class and and something would happen it would just trigger me Um, so it became really I was embarrassed to be in those situations so it seemed easier to just stay at home you know and watch Mm, reruns of Friends episodes and (laughs) you know Um, so so that was a really difficult time especially you know uh, late high school into college uh, but I started to do other things like yoga. Um, I got healthier. I quit smoking. Um, I started, I found a therapist that I loved. I was starting to work on myself and, and I, I found myself drawn to healthier people um, and started to form more healthy relationships, friendships. Um, and all of those things, I think, really helped me on this path, um, you know, and I still feel like anxiety is a part of me. I think it always will be. For a time, I tried to fight that truth. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I really associated with thing, anxiety as a, as a bad thing, um, but the same thing that makes me anxious makes me a very excited, sensitive loving person and um you know excitement and anxiety are are often very similar feelings Mm. and (laughs) you know and it's hard to tell the difference sometimes um so it's been a long path I mean I would say for the last there was a turning point for me in in around 2011 and it kind of synced up with going off some of these meds that um I think weren't good for me specifically. I think they were good for a time, but then they weren't. Um, and really being in regular therapy and and um, starting to pursue things like meditation. Um, so I feel like it's it's under control in the sense that 
you know, it's it's a manageable everyday thing. Um, but it's been pretty amazing because one of the greatest things that's happened is, you know, realizing that I can manage this. And because of that, I feel like I'm experiencing so many things that I just couldn't when I was younger because I was so debilitated by this, Mm. um, by these feelings. Um, And so now I'm just so excited by everything that, (laughs) you know, that I get to experience, (laughs) you know. Yeah. Oh, it makes me so sad for younger you, but it's nice. It's, I don't know how you feel about your younger self, but, um, you know, I have my own struggles with, you know, growing up and, and being a young person and the, you know, I'm a, who I am because of it. And I used to like, look back and be so ashamed of myself when I was mm. younger. How do you feel? Well, how do you feel about my younger self, Emily? <laughs> I bet she was really c- cute and loved cats. <laughs> <laughs> True. And was very sweet. Um, it, it's so sweet that you say that, that you feel sad for my younger self. Because I, you know, I, I do too. And I, I feel, you know, sad for a lot of, especially kids who go through things like this. Um, but I think I was very lucky in the sense that I always had this, um, I was always very optimistic. Um, and looking back, I don't know that I feel ashamed. I just feel, yeah, really badly that that anyone should have to feel that alone um, or neglected, you know. And um, so I really, you know, I really feel some di- sometimes I wish I could just go back and tell her things, you know. <laughs> mm. um, but... Yeah, I don't feel I don't feel ashamed. I feel very empowered that uh, that she she's always she'll always be a part of me. But she's um, you know that she's okay now. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, I read that you have kept a journal all your life. Like you don't have any more room for journals. Um, where where do you, where do you find this information, Cindy? <laughs> oh, the World Wide Web. <laughs> That's um, true. Can you talk about how you started that process, and did the, those journals help provide any song lyrics for you when you first started writing songs yeah. in college? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've, yeah, so I've kept a journal since I was very young. Um, my mother encouraged me to, to kind of write down a lot of things. Uh, there was, there was something that was happening at school with a friend who, um, we were assigned to, to write a book together in computer class. And, um, anyway, long story short, my memory of it is that she stole my book idea um, after we decided to do separate books. <laughs> and I was very angry about it because then it won a prize and she took my book oh. idea. And my mother um, was like, all right, Emily, well, um, you know, just write down all of your – I was so angry. So she's like, write down all of your thoughts about this and feel free to use whatever curse word, curse words that you want to. 
So I don't remember how old I was, but I didn't I didn't know how to use curse words properly. So I ended up writing this like ridiculous story with all of these curse words used in like the complete wrong way um, <laughs> that my mother still keeps in her wallet, I think, um, because it's so ridiculous. But <laughs> <laughs> but that was uh, I, I just remember the release that I had and how how uh, how much better I felt writing whatever I could, like having permission to say whatever I wanted to say. Um, and so I just really gravitate to that feeling and I've, uh, kept a journal ever since and I try to write, I try to write every day sometimes it's nonsense, but, um, but yeah, and songwriting, you know, when I'm stuck or, you know, sometimes I'll often just open some old journals, um, but there's quite, I have quite a lot now. Um, that's so great. I'm so envious of, um. Uh, Rose Polanzani also is a is a rigorous journal keeper. Oh, we really? Roommates at one point, and I've like always admired that. Um, and I also remember not knowing how to use curse words and trying <laughs> to <laughs> trying to call somebody a prick, but I was kept calling them a pimp. <laughs> that was wrong. Different meaning different meaning that's a good one though (laughs) it might as well just you know might as well just not say the bad word at all um i don't know it's pretty great (laughs) (laughs) uh okay ireland ever been there i have yes um it's one of my favorite places uh i moved there well actually i studied there in between my junior and senior years i I studied Irish traditional music at the University of Limerick just for a couple of weeks. I did this traditional Irish music program. Was that for oboe or for something else? It was kind of, so it was general Irish music education, but they had various classes and I actually sat in on the fiddle classes with my oboe and tried to learn the tunes pretty badly, uh, <laughs> but it was really fun to do that. And I was also taking some like... Um, Irish guitar classes and singing. Um, so it's kind of, you could kind of pick and choose your focuses. Um, so I did that and I just fell in love with the country and the culture. So I moved there after graduating from Ithaca um, with my best friend, um, like six or seven months after we graduated. We moved out there to Galway, uh, which is on the west coast of Ireland. And lived there for what felt like years, but it was really just six months or so. <laughs> um, but it was amazing. It's I really love Galway and traveling, and um, it was a really special time. And you uh, were busking on the streets of Galway. Um, what was your experience like performing on the streets, and how does that inform you as a performer today? Well, it's pretty. It was pretty intense. I mean. It was the first place I was trying out my songs and, and, you know, I'd played some open mics at Ithaca when I was starting to get into songwriting and, um, but I hadn't really performed on guitar much. So this was sort of where I was trying it, trying it all out. Um, and on, uh, on one hand it was 
kind of a perfect way to do it because there were, you know, oftentimes where no one's paying attention to you and you could do and say whatever and, <laughs> you know, um, so it was really good practice. Uh, but it was also really difficult for many reasons. You know, the weather in Ireland is so unpredictable. And um, and also there was, you know, you had to, Galway, like the main part of it, the main street isn't very big, so you had to really uh, get your spot, get a good spot to play because uh, there was competition with other buskers. Um, luckily, it was a pretty good community of people, um, so it wasn't really that competitive. Um, but it was it was hard, and I learned, you know, that I didn't really love busking at night um, because, you know, people were often drunker, and I didn't want to deal with that. Uh, but you, I met so many amazing people this way and you know I think one of the coolest things is the that people don't expect they're not coming to a show to see music they're walking by you not looking for music and I was always so um, uh, inspired by people who would stop and and tell me you know their stories or how they could relate to my songs and um you know, it was just very unexpected, the everything that happened. And it was, uh, you know, no day was the same. Um, and I think for me, that was a really good lesson because, you know, the part of me that really likes control, there's, you have no control when you're busking over, mm. you know, a lot, anything yeah. really. <laughs> um, so I think it was a really good experience. It definitely uh, gave me some tough skin for sure. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, also, the first time I saw you play outside of Miles of Music camp, you came to Pittsburgh, like we had mentioned, and um, on stage you were introducing um, the song about uh, this great love you experienced in Ireland. And then I feel like my heart was like exploding with how like lovely the story was. And then you started to play the song. And then at the end of the song, you were like, oh, I forgot to tell you guys we got married. <laughs> and it was so funny. <laughs> Which I feel I feel sorry for people who haven't seen you play because I just ruined the story. But um, <laughs> I don't care. Uh, it, I want you to tell the story. Do you want me to tell the story now? Yes, please. <laughs> so, well, yeah, so... During this time, I was busking, um, you know, I met a lot of friends and other musicians. Um, but the reason I went to Ireland in the first place was really to kind of get away from home and escape and, you know, just like travel and, and, and not think about things. And the last thing I wanted to do was, was get into a relationship. Um, but I met this guy uh, who... You know, he was also from, he's from New York. He's from upstate New York in Rochester. And he was a mutual friend of uh, this girl that my friend was working with. So a mutual friend of a friend. And anyway, we we hit it off, but we, we were, we really kind of became friends first. And it was this great group of us um, from all over the world, um, this kind of core group of people that, I just felt such comfort with. And anyway, you know, 
I think because we were just really um, in this place where, you know, no one was judging anyone. There was no expectations of, um, you know, we didn't know each other before. We didn't, you know, we knew that we weren't going to maybe see each other after. If we, you know, we all lived in separate places. Um, and we just, him and I, just kind of fell in love. And um, it was so inconvenient and so scary. And, you know, when you're traveling, I think everything just moves so much faster. Um, and so we dated for a couple months, and it was this amazing thing. Uh, you know, we traveled everywhere, and it was this really, it was like such a fairy tale. And it was funny because at the time, the movie Once was just coming out, which is really about a busker in Dublin and I remember going to see the movie and being like oh my god this is my life I'm living this life and and, you know there's a romance and anyway yeah so we just had this magical time and um but his whole plan from the beginning was to go travel Europe um so he left about a month or two before I was planning to uh, so he, you know, and we we didn't think it would make sense to stay together because we had no idea where we were going after this. Or um, he was thinking of moving to California, actually, and I was contemplating staying in Ireland forever. And <laughs> uh, so he left, and we we said goodbye, and it was really difficult. And that was when I wrote that song, Ireland, to me. Um, and it's just still so vivid in my mind, um, just writing that and feeling so overwhelmed with sadness and and also just being so grateful that I'd met this person. Uh, But then, you know, we kept in touch and we, you know, actually I flew to Portugal to surprise him (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. a couple weeks later after he left. And so we, you know, we were still talking and friends and everything. And um, anyway, long story short, a couple months after this, uh, he got a job in New York and moved to the city and I was coming back for my sister's wedding and we reconnected and got back together uh and then this is like 2007 so 12 years ago um and then we've stayed together and we got married in 2015 and they lived happily ever after (laughs) the end (laughs) love Walt Disney (laughs) Uh, Emily, because of your classical training, your own music is really influenced by those types of sounds. Um, In a lot of your songs, all of a sudden there'll be like this lovely woodwind or French horn um, or a cello part. Um, So you've done a really wonderful job of mixing your two worlds together. However, in reading about your story, it seems as though for your whole life you had been working up to this classical music career but what made you want to pursue songwriting and performing instead like how it must have been a hard decision it was a really hard decision you know I was on track for a very specific career um you know ever since like fourth grade uh you know, through college, I thought this was the path I was going to be on, you know, be an oboist and an orchestra. And, um, and, you know, I started playing guitar 
as a teenager, really just as a way to process emotions and songwriting kind of happened immediately, but I really didn't ever think that it would be something I would actually pursue as a career. But the difference for me was, first of all, I didn't love the classical music uh, world. I didn't love the competition, the atmosphere. Um, You know, I just didn't love how strict it felt. But aside from that, I also didn't love, um, you know, I really loved the oboe, but I didn't love the repertoire. And I think it took for me to start playing guitar and singing folk music and writing my own songs that I realized I liked that genre more. And I also really liked having more control over the sounds I was making. You know, I really love playing Mozart, but, you know, when you play Mozart, you've got to sound like an oboist playing Mozart. And, you know, it's a, it's a strict... I, I, I know that there are plenty of musicians who find a lot of creativity in that and feel empowered by that but I found it very restricting and I used to go you know my sophomore or junior year I remember practicing in the practice room um, for my recitals and just feeling you know like what am I doing I'm wasting I'm wasting time but more than that it's just like just I've been on this path because because I've been on this path. I I haven't really questioned it in a while, (laughs) you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think it was a really hard decision because I had spent so much time and energy on this one very specific uh, path. But so it took time to really feel okay. I felt really guilty about it for a while. And I actually, when I started to play music, started to play my own songs more, I had to take a a break from the oboe. I took like a six-year break and felt guilty Mm. about it, but it's like I just needed the separation. Mm. Um, And now in the past few years, I've been playing it a little bit more uh, with other people, but I'm finding a little bit more freedom in it, uh, but I'm playing it in a different way, playing it with, you know, with people who are folk musicians or um, I think you saw you might have seen me play it with Caroline in Pittsburgh yeah. that one time. Um, but yeah, it was a long process of of uh, letting go of something that I thought was was what I was going to do, you know. Sounds like a real breakup. It was a real breakup, yeah. It was a long relationship and one that started very early, you know. Um, wow. So it was difficult. It was difficult, but I'm so glad I'm so glad. Yeah, Um, totally. You know. I could talk to you all day. Oh, I love this, Cindy. (laughs) Really, your podcast is like, it's so amazing. I learned so many things about people that I've been listening to for forever. And I just, it's very, yeah, it's very cool. All right. Your last album, Worth, is filled with themes of self-worth, especially the title track, which I think you said you wrote for Dom. Yeah, I think I think that was the initial the initial person I was writing it for. But I mean, this happens with a lot of my songs. I'll have one person in mind, and then I'm writing for a lot of people. You know, I was for you know I was kind of thinking about anyone who feels <laughs> like 
you know, not worthy or, or they just don't know how great they are. Or, um, but that was, he was the person I had in mind when I first started writing the song. Which, way to go. Good move. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and, and now when you introduce it, it's such a wonderful song. And when you introduce it, you say that you're singing, like you mentioned, but also that you sing the song to yourself. Um, and I'm wondering what has that done for your own self-worth? Oh, such a good question. Um, yeah, I think I think that the process of songwriting in general has been a way for me to understand myself and understand, um, you know, things that I really need to understand. Um, but... Yeah, I think singing that song has helped, has definitely helped me feel a sense of worth. And I think that album in general was a process for me. Um, those songs I was really writing when I was kind of coming out of uh, a, 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 my fog of anxiety. It was sort of, you know, I was really writing those songs when I was um, uh, really able to articulate some of some of those things for the first time um and it's I mean songwriting for me really is primarily a process of healing and helping others heal through that indirectly um you know or that's the hope I guess is by being honest about things other people will will relate to it um but worth is great because it's it's you know it's one of my more upbeat songs still not it's still not it's a banger super upbeat yeah it's a banger yeah it's mid-tempo mid-tempo <laughs> um and it's yeah it's a light song and I love singing it and I love you know I just played two a few release shows um one at Club Passim and one at Rockwood in in New York and I just had like a bunch of friends just come up and sing it with me and um I just love it I love singing it to all of us and and hearing other people sing it um as well have you ever come across someone where you're like mm, i think that you know you're worth a little too much <laughs> yeah but then my next thought is they really don't though you know and then oh, i feel bad for them <laughs> i'm such a good person no i don't know <laughs> Your latest release is Sad Songs and Waltzes, an EP of covers, um, which is right. something you said that you really wanted to do for a long time. And you cover people like Wilco, Radiohead, Coldplay. Um, and you, you know, it's something that you've done before. You've recorded covers before, you've performed covers before. Can you talk about what you like about reinterpreting someone else's song? Yeah, I, I love it so much. It's such a fun, um, fun creative process for me. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, I love arranging and I love taking songs and reimagining them. It's something that I, you know, started to do first in college. Um, and I, you know, it's it's kind of like taking someone else's song and and making it my own that's the goal at least um but with these songs I was you know I, I really wanted to be careful about what I chose to cover you know these songs are not 
there are a lot of bands that I love and that I especially grew up listening to, um, but I really didn't want to pick pick songs that I either thought I should cover or um, ones that I really just loved playing. I mean, I wanted to love playing it, but I also wanted to feel inspired to take it in a different direction. Um, you know, so I, I asked myself if it, if, you know, when I was thinking about the songs, is this one that, that I really feel like I can, uh, give a different, uh, perspective on. And yeah, I think it's just really fun. It was an exercise for me and ear training for a while, uh, especially for the Radiohead song. The way that I arranged that was I just listened to the song and, um, got my, you know, my sheet music program out and would just transcribe it by ear and then reassign it to different instruments, reassign the parts. And I I really like the challenge of that uh, because I'm kind of practicing, you know, really listening. And also, you know, my goal for the Radiohead song was take all of these instruments, there are a lot of instruments on that song, and condense it down to some of the more, you know, what I felt like were the most important lines and then decide which what voice can you know can take those parts and how to divide it up so I really like the challenge it's like a big puzzle um and with that song in particular you know I was rearranging it up until you know the day we were recording it um but there's something special about you know these songs taking these songs that inspired us as kids and recreating them in a way that you know can um, that we can share it with other people in, in a, a way that represents us, you know. That's awesome. It sounds really beautiful. Thank you. Okay, Emily Muir, are you ready for the lightning round? Oh boy, there's a lightning round. Uh, yeah, there's a lightning <laughs> round, and you're gonna hate it. Oh no. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready, Cindy. Okay, great. So we'll take a quick break, and then we'll come right back. Basic Folk is supported by Lindsay Myers from LMNO Management, who encourages you to support independent artists by going to live shows, hosting a house concert, and buying directly from artists. And thanks to WIUP in Indiana, Pennsylvania, which airs Basic Folk 2 p.m. Eastern every Saturday. You can listen on 90.1 if you're in the Indiana, PA area, or at their website, wiupfm.org. Emily. This is the lightning round. I'm going to ask you simple questions. Some of them are facts about yourself. uh, And you can just give me one word answers or short answers. Okay. Okay. Here we go. What is the first song you learned on the guitar? Leaving on a jet plane. (laughs) Leaving on a jet plane? Question mark. I think. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Batman or Superman? Oh, Batman. Hotmail, Gmail, or Yahoo? Gmail. Lakes or beaches? Lakes, for sure. Soprano or alto? Alto. Read music or play music by ear? Both. Uh, What is your coffee order? Oh, man, I don't drink coffee anymore. Earl Grey tea. First album you bought with your own money. You're not lame. (laughs) Give me a break. First album I bought with my own money. Wow, probably 
the cranberries. Everyone else is oh. doing it, so why can't we? Of course. Probably. God. It's a cassette tape. It makes, makes so much sense. Uh, first <laughs> concert. Outside of outside of classical music, it was Coldplay. Wow. Yeah. Um, last book you read. Oh, The Creative Habit by Twyla Tharp. I highly recommend it. Oh my gosh, way to go. Um, dream <laughs> collaboration. Oh man, God, so many people. Um, Anais Mitchell probably is one good of one. them. Ani DeFranco, <laughs> there's so many. <laughs> Both good. Flying yeah. or invisibility? Flying. What is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Oh, Donegal in Ireland, the kind of northwest corner of Ireland. Awesome. Okay, Emily, you did great. That was a great <laughs> lightning round. I love the lightning round. I was nervous, but we did it. Thank you so much for talking to me, and I hope that I see you soon. And uh, Dottie the cat also hopes that she sees you soon, too. Oh, you and Dottie are the best. I hope to see you guys, and thanks for having me. This is so fun. All right. Thanks, Emily. Emily Muir's latest release is an EP of covers called Sad Songs and Waltzes. You can check it out wherever you find your music. Um, I encourage you to check her out if she's ever in your neck of the woods on tour. She uh, puts on a really fantastic, lovely show. And also, you can't beat that instrumentation uh, that comes in. We were talking about it a little, where like all of a sudden cello and oboe and violin are coming in in a really lovely way. But can't stress it enough. She is a gem. Thanks to Emily. Also, thanks to Laura McCarthy for producing Basic Folk with assistance from Adam Corey. Lindsay Myers is our business manager. Alex Stanton of Townspeople does our music. I'm Cindy House. Uh, Basic Folk knit hats knitted by my mom, Mum House. You can get yours at my website, cindyhouse.net. You can also sign up for our email list. You can find show notes. Sign up for our Facebook group, Basic Folk Basics. And I'll talk to you next week. Hopefully you'll be listening in your Basic Folk beanie because it's getting chilly out there and you just you need a beanie. Okay, thanks. Bye.